let's have all of our members to stand. Visitors, you remain seated for just a moment. The ushers are coming down the aisle. They have a guest packet that we want to give to you. And on the inside is a guest card. If you'll take that and fill it out and drop an offering plate in just a moment, we'd appreciate it. And we want to send you some information this week about the church. We want you to get to know us, and we want to get to know you. And then once you get that packet, go ahead and stand with us. We've had a wonderful week in the Lord, haven't we? Wonderful week. I'll tell you what, I feasted off the goodness of the Lord. And it was, so, it was said several times through the week. Someone made reference to the statement in the Psalms and also in Hebrews. What is man that thou art mindful of him? It amazes me that God has any interest in us whatsoever. But I am amazed that he would work in our lives and meet with us and bless us. And it's all because of his son, the Lord Jesus. I'm glad to be saved today. It's a blessing. Let's pray. All the men that will come, let's just gather around the altar. Let's take this service to the Lord. And today I know God has a word for us and we want to be open to all that God would do in our midst and say to us today through his word. So let's pray. Father, this morning in Jesus' name, we do stand amazed in the presence of the Nazarene. We stand amazed at your goodness to us. We stand amazed at your interest in us. We stand amazed, Lord, at every act of grace and goodness that is uh, shown to us as believers. We thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him we have all these things. Father, touch us today. We need you. We come. We rejoice in all that you've done for us in the past week. But we come today needing a fresh word from you. We come today needing your presence today. And we come with a hungry heart. Lord, the goodness of the Lord makes us even more hungrier for all that you have for us. So touch us today. Bless us today. Move and meet every need in this room and we'll thank you and praise you for it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Let's sing and worship the Lord. What a mighty God we
Let me say it's a joy to have all of those that are visiting with us today. And as I mentioned a moment ago, inside the little guest packet that you got, there is a guest card or a visitor's card. If you'll take that out and drop an offering plate, fill it out and drop an offering plate. We'd like to send you some information this week about the church. 
and uh, so you can get to know us better. We appreciate all of our visitors being here. It's good to have my dad and Deanna with us today. Uh, would you stand up over here? Let's welcome them. They come in for a couple of days. Good to have them in the service today. Good to have them here. Let me just take just a second to just express uh, my appreciation for several things. First, all the ladies that worked this week in the conference, uh, I tell you what, you did a marvelous job. And I love you for who you are. But there are other things about you that makes me love you more. And uh, just the spirit of the Lord for all of you. Uh, that the spirit that you have for others and the heart that you have for other people, uh, for the sacrifices that you made this week, your commitment, your dedication. Uh, many of our folks have been working for weeks getting ready for this, especially those who take care of the buildings, Luther and Gene and others, and uh, a lot of dedication, sacrifice. But I appreciate the way that you give yourself to other people there in our conference. And I don't know over a year that our guests have been any more overwhelmed uh, with the hospitality and the kindness that were shown toward them. And I wish you could hear all the things they say to me as they leave. And the majority of them leave with tears in their eyes, just thanking me for everything. But I want you to know I appreciate you because it couldn't be done if it were not for you. But all of our ladies that prepared the meals, you were over there for hours. I know some of you over there eight hours a day. But if you helped in the kitchen uh, anytime, all the ladies, would you stand? And men that helped, I know some men helped too. Would you stand? And let's everybody, let's show them our appreciation. You did a great job. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and I am eternally grateful for you. And then the choir and the musicians, uh, Mary Jo and Patty taking off work to be here for the week. Uh, it was so faithful. Everybody did such a great job. And, and it was just tremendous. It was just a wonderful week. And much of it was due to uh, the servant heart that you have. And I appreciate it. And you'll never know. It costs a lot of money to have this conference, and we raise money all through the year and different things. But I promise you one thing. It'll be worth every penny of it when we get home. We never know this side of eternity whose heart we that the Lord touches when they're here. Maybe some preacher that comes in that is discouraged and just about ready to quit, and God just give them something. Uh, it'll be worth it. And I appreciate everything that... Uh, uh, you did, all of you. Again, I can't say enough how much I appreciate you doing it. And then I want to thank you for your warm and kind response uh, to my book. I've been a little bit overwhelmed with uh, how well you've responded to it. And I know the first thing you did, you turned it to see what happened on your birthday. And I didn't put a word in there about any one of you. But uh, uh, I, again, I am... A, just a bit overwhelmed with how well you've received it and how well it has been received by others. But I want to thank you so much for it. I have them out in the front. They'll be out there today. And after that, they'll be in the uh, tape room. You can pick them up there. But again, thank you for that. And then I want to just say a word. I, as we've been praying this week and throughout the conference course, our, course, our ultimate goal was to honor the Lord and to uh, listen to his word. But every night, we try to take just a moment to remember our country and to be praying for our country and just to have a little reminder every night where we are to be praying for different things. But it's been amazing how the Lord has used this tragedy in our nation. I am a bit overwhelmed again at some of the things that are happening in our country, but I was very, very pleased and very, very proud of something that happened here in our city this week. As many of you know, our commissioners voted this week 
to put the Ten Commandments back in the courthouse. And of course, the Supreme Court. I appreciate that. And I appreciate them doing that in spite of what the Supreme Court has to say. And it's my honor, my privilege to have as one of our members, one of the commissioners that voted for that. Commissioner Adams, would you stand? Let's show our appreciation to Commissioner Adams. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Curtis, if anybody gives you any trouble, you can count on one little hillbilly be down there to help you. I'll be down there waving my flag, and I appreciate the commissioners doing that. One more thing, just a couple more things. Don't forget now, next Sunday is our fifth Sunday, and our fifth Sundays are dedicated to our new building. <clears throat> and I'm excited about uh, where we're coming and how far we've gone. Our goal was to raise $100,000 by the end of this year. We are well on target of doing that. But on the fifth Sundays, we have next Sunday and then one more Sunday in the year that is left. What we do is dedicate that day to giving toward our building fund. And we challenge everybody to double your tithe on that Sunday. So don't forget next Sunday. And I know you've given and given and given and given, but I hate to tell you this, but you're going to do a whole lot more giving for it's over with. But next Sunday is a fifth Sunday, so I want you to remember that, and I'll be getting you a note out this week in the mail about that. But uh, double your tithe. Everybody gives something next Sunday, and it all goes toward the building fund. Your special gifts are important, and also your weekly giving is very, very important. That's as much, as, as much critical as anything else. And you give into the Lord every week. We give, as I have said so often, because we, it is right to give. We give to obey the Lord. But uh, this is a special reason to give. And you give. Everybody participate in the giving next week. And then let me just take just a moment to say happy birthday to Patrick Col Colwick. He was 10 years old on Friday. Happy birthday. Everybody show your appreciation. Patrick, say happy birthday to him. Good. <clears throat> Let's pray. Remember the family of Pam King. As many of you know, Pam I went home to be with the Lord on Friday. The family will be receiving friends at 1 o'clock today at Chattanooga East Chapel. The funeral will be tomorrow at 11 o'clock. So remember all the family lending them. Father, we thank you for all you're doing. And we come this morning with grateful hearts and hearts that stand in all of your goodness. Lord, touch all these needs. Bless all the things that are going on. Bless the offering today. Continue to work in this service. In Jesus' name, amen.
expecting me and this one thing I know my Savior pardoned me and now I onward go I know he'll take me through I'm traveling to that shore and I can't feel at home in this world anymore oh Lord He's going to hold on forever there, didn't you?
simply carry on through life's toils and tests the worst and best I've never left alone you're always right beside me you hear me when I pray and since I first began you've been my dearest friend I give you all the praise and we're singing thanks
Peace. 
this morning. <laughs> it does get sweeter every day. Oh, I tell you, I'm full this week. Longer I serve. And this morning, a friend of mine taught my Sunday school class, and he has been a Christian now for only four years. 
So he's not a seasoned veteran like the rest of us. He hasn't grown cold and callous sitting on a church pew like many of us. And he got so excited in Sunday school this morning, he, he said, I, I'm trying to keep from going Pentecostal on y'all is what he said. Well, we're not Pentecostal. And I tell him to help himself. I promise you something. Never lose sight of how sweet it is to be one of his. How sweet it is to be loved by him, to be known by him, to be kept by him. Every day it gets better. Rick wants us to sing it again, and I'm all for it. So go ahead, Trey. Since I started for the kingdom, since my life he controls, since I
sing it together. Oh, how I love Jesus. Sing it from your heart. You love him? Oh, sing it. How I love Jesus. Sing it to him. How I love Jesus. Why? Sing it again. <laughs> sing it from your heart. Sing it to him. Everyone sing. Oh, how I sing it. Tell him. Express it through your singing. Yes. How I love Jesus. Amen. How I love Jesus. Because he glad I can come to church and meet with the Lord and he can meet with us and meet needs in our life. Aren't you? What a blessing. It's been a joy and a delight to have as our morning speaker in our Bible conference, uh, Victor Maxwell. He's had a real ministry this week uh, to the preachers that were here, over a hundred, some preachers that were here, and the Lord really used him in our hearts in the morning services. We've often, we have our conferences and the morning speakers, many of you are not able to attend the morning services due to your job and different things, and so you never get to hear the morning speakers. So I wanted to keep Brother Maxwell over this year so you could hear him. Of course, he's been here before, but I wanted him to minister to us. I, I praise the Lord for Victor Maxwell. I bless the day the Lord let our paths cross. It's my privilege back in January this year uh, to preach in his church in Banbridge, Northern Ireland. Banbridge, the bridge over the river band, and the home of Joseph Scriven, who wrote, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Great church. I was just amazed. When the back, when we came out, the building was absolutely packed. Great, great group of believers, and just a wonderful time to minister there with them, and my privilege. But I appreciate Victor Maxwell. Let's welcome him back to our services this morning. Brother Ken, thank you very much for the very kind words of welcome returning to the pulpit here this morning. 
It's been to be here this week. And I take the opportunity of thanking God, indeed, thanking the pastor and Mrs. Truvett for their friendship and fellowship uh, now these few years that we've got to know them. And, of course, we really enjoy the visits to this church. Especially I'll be grateful for the invitation to take part in this conference during this memorable and perhaps a very critical time in this nation. It's amazing how God helps us to sing in our sorrow. The Apostle Peter reminded the believers of his time, though they pass through fiery trials, and though they be in heaviness for a season, yet we are to rejoice. And this has been a week of rejoicing. I thank God it's been an invitation to come and dine. We have been feasting. And the Christian life is a feast, it's not a famine. Thank God it's not a funeral. We can rejoice in the Lord. One of my friends back home says that the Lord gave him joy, that if he had been a cow, he could moo all day. Well, I think here at this church, you've been not mooing, but you've been singing, singing your hearts out, and we've been greatly blessed. And for Audrey and myself, and indeed my family, we would love to take a little part of this church back with us to Northern Ireland to let our folk sample some of the blessing that you are enjoying here. I have been struck not only by the joy, but the consecration, the dedication. I've come to this church and I've found that there's holy water in this church, not at the door, but the tears, tears of love and tears of repentance as people have sought the Lord. And so again, thank you. Thank you also for your overwhelming hospitality. The pastor has already mentioned that. And we have been the benefactors this week. Uh, we realize all of that goes on with a, a lot of work, a lot of dedication. On behalf and on behalf of all of the pastors during this week, we want to thank you most sincerely. Also, we give to you this morning the assurance of our thoughts and prayers as we return, the Lord willing, a week tomorrow to Northern Ireland. And we will be thinking very much of you. Didn't you like the pastor's book? Um, we thank God for this book. And as uh, Tom Hayes has said this week, many of us will not only be reading it, but using it, uh, using the illustrations, remembering certain dates. And we thank God for that. I would just like to mention one or two books that we have out there. Since I was here last, I think I have three new books out. One very much relates to Chattanooga. It is the story of the conversion of Bill Stafford, Jr., it happened here in this very church in September 1980. Uh, Pastor Bill Stafford and his wife had been praying. Oftentimes it seemed that things only got worse the more they prayed. And yet, thank God that God loves the prodigal. Perhaps I speak to mothers and fathers here today, and you've got a prodigal son, prodigal daughter. There's a book I encourage you to read, Not Without Hope, the story of Bill Stafford Jr. and how God answered a preacher's prayers and brought the family home to Christ. Other two books, one is Dress for Success, a devotional book, and then a book that we released just two, three weeks ago, When God Steps In. Amazing story of what God has done through many lives on the Amazon. A book that will make you laugh, a book that will make you cry. A book, my friend, that will inspire confidence, and I trust, inspire more dedication to the Savior. When God Steps In, these are only a few of the books that are down there. Mark chapter 14, if you would, this morning. Mark chapter 14, and we're reading at verse 1. 
Mark chapter 14 and verse 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at meat. There came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me, ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body for the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And amen, God always blesses to us the reading of his sacred word. The events of these past number of days here in the United States of America has sort of eclipsed all other news items that seemingly had gone before. However, back in Easter, during the Easter week of this year, there were two names that hit the headlines around the world, one from Britain and one from the United States of America. They hit the headlines, these two personalities, and yet the only thing they had in common was their name. Both of them were called Ronnie. Ronnie Biggs was the Britisher. He was notorious and is notorious to this very day because he was one of a group of men who brought off the great train robbery in the United Kingdom in 1963. Until that date, it was the most audacious and the greatest robbery ever in history. Ronnie Biggs was not only arrested, but he jumped jail and fled first to Australia and then to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And sometimes when we were in Rio de Janeiro, that beautiful city, Ronnie Biggs would walk up and down the famous Copacabana Beach, and there he lived in the lap of luxury for some 30 years. That is, until Easter of this year, he voluntarily returned to face justice in the United Kingdom. Looking at the life of that man, he lived his life of crime in a blaze of stardom. His life would almost teach us that crime paid. Ronnie Biggs is the name. He stands in stark contrast to another person whose name was Ronnie Bars. Ronnie Bars came from Winston-Salem in North Carolina. Although the name is Ronnie, she was a missionary. Her real name was Veronica. Veronica, or Ronnie Bars, was converted when she was 16 years of age. 
At 18 years of age, she went to study at the Piedmont Bible College, and there she met Jim Barnes. We knew Jim from his mom and dad. We'd worked with them when they were missionaries with ABWE, the Association of Baptists for Worldwide Evangelization, and we got to know them in the Amazon. Jim and Ronnie served the Lord, not in Brazil, but over the border, still in the Amazon, but on the Peruvian side of the border. On the 13th of April this year, they were flying in a light Cessna aircraft from the town of Leticia to the town of Iquitos. They were just completing the forms to the adoption of their second little child, whose name was Charity. She was only six months old. Ronnie, Jim, Charity, and their other little boy, Corey, they traveled in the plane alongside the pilot. That is, until that fateful, fateful day, the Friday, Good Friday, a Peruvian aircraft honed in on them. It was an aircraft of the Air Force of Peru. They were suspected, the missionaries were suspected as being drug dealers, and having honed in on them without any warning, they began to blaze guns on the light aircraft. Not only was the aircraft struck and spiraled down to the ground, not to the ground, but rather to the middle of the river Amazon. Amazingly, Jim was able to rescue little, little Corey, his six-year-old boy. But as he reached for his wife, he realized his wife of 35 years of age was now with the Savior. One bullet had entered into the back of her neck and pierced right or penetrated into the head of her six-month-old little child, and Charity and Ronnie were with the Savior, having given their lives for Christ. When I thought of these two Ronnies, ironically to hit the headlines in one week, I thought of the great contrast there was between them. Ronnie Biggs was a villain. Ronnie Bars is a heroine. Ronnie Biggs lived for crime. Ronnie Bars lived for crime. Ronnie Biggs was motivated by greed, grabbing what he could. Ronnie Bars was motivated by God. Ronnie Biggs, my friend, indulged his life in the lust for time. Ronnie Bars invested her life for the Lord and eternity. Ronnie Biggs lived to satisfy himself. Ronnie Bars lived to please and satisfy the Savior. Ronnie Biggs, I say finally, his life was characterized by selfishness. The life of Ronnie Bars was characterized by sacrifice. When I thought of the life of this young girl whom we had known some years ago, I came to this portion of Scripture that we are reading together this morning. For her life reminded me of the words of our Savior when Jesus Christ gave, as it were, a commendation to this lady who on his head had not only opened the alabaster box, but poured that spike on art upon them. Jesus said these words, Wherever the gospel is preached in all the world, then what she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. 
My friend, I felt that on that Friday, what Ronnie Bars did on the Peruvian side of the Amazon was repeating, telling again the story of what Mary did in Bethany. You see, when Jesus Christ said those words, wherever the gospel is preached in all the world, what she has done, let it be told. It is not a matter of verbally telling the story, but rather, my friend, it is perpetuating a principle that that same dedication, that same love for Christ, my friend, that same sense of consecration is what's going to help us preach this gospel in all the world. And I tell you this, my friend, the blight of the Christian church today is that sometimes we have those who profess the name of Christ, and yet they live on consecrated lives, uncommitted to God's work, unconcerned for the lost around us. And while that may be the blight of the Christian church, I say to you the blessing of the Christian church is when those who profess the name of Christ, my friend, they are consecrated, they're committed, they're concerned. They do again what Mary did in Bethany. This is a principle that has got to be perpetuated again and again. And I say not to patronize this church, but I've seen something of that this week. I've seen those, the ladies of this church, who have given of their time, their substance, and my friend, day after day, they have just poured out, as it were, their alabaster box, their commitment to Jesus Christ, their consecration to Him. I've seen it again and again in the pastors who have come here this week, some of them by their own admission, somewhat discouraged, laboring perhaps in difficult places, uphill against, as it were, the, the tide of opinion. And yet, my friend, what they're doing in their particular corner, as your pastor is doing here from this pulpit, is week after week pouring out their alabaster box to Jesus Christ. What she did in Bethany said Jesus Christ has got to be told again and again and again, not from our lips, but, my friend, by the consecration of our lives. And therefore, it prompts me to ask these very simple questions. And the first question is this. If this story's got to be told again in your life and in my life, then what is it that Mary did? Of course, we know the story, and perhaps you could repeat it. That is, and on that day, my friend, she, she burst into the presence of our blessed Lord, sitting there with his disciples, flanked on either side by Simon the leper, and on the other side by Lazarus. And she took that alabaster jar. That alabaster had come all the way from Egypt. The nard that was in it, it was very special nard. It was called spikenard. It probably had come from the northern part of India. It was, it was perhaps the most treasured possession that she had in that house. And yet, my friend, I do feel that out of a heart that was overflowing, out of love for Jesus Christ, she could not contain herself any longer. And out of unrestrained love, she burst in upon them, and she poured that spike on her upon the head of Jesus Christ. When I ask the question, what is it that Mary did? 
I like to answer it in this way. First of all, what Mary did on that day, my friend, was something that was quite exceptional. No one had ever done this before. My friend, when Mary stepped out, when this lady stepped out to, to, to anoint the head of Jesus Christ, she wasn't copying someone else. She wasn't fulfilling a mere formality. Rather, here was a woman who, motivated by her love for Jesus Christ, felt that she had to do something that was beyond the common. It had to be something special. It had to be something absolutely exceptional for Jesus Christ. And do you know something? I do feel it in our days that we are to reach the world around us. My friend, the challenge of today demands something exceptional in the lives of God's people. Irvin Irvin Overholzer was a pastor here in the United States of America. He loved the, the preachings of Charles Haddon Spurgeon like most other preachers do. Uh, you know that little limerick that goes, there once was a preacher called Spurgey who didn't agree with liturgy. His sermons are fine. I've made them all mine. And so has the rest of the clergy. Uh, I, I don't know if that is true here, but but Erwin Overholzer, he loved the, the, the sermons of, of Spurgeon. That is until one day he read a statement by Spurgeon that said that he believed that if a boy or a girl of five or six came to Jesus Christ, they could personally know Christ as Savior. Erwin Overholzer was challenged by that. He was a serious-minded preacher. And so when he read the statement, he decided to put it to the test. He got a group of boys and girls from his, his own church. I think there were nine or ten of them. He began to instruct them in the things of God, and one by one he saw them come to Christ. And not only come to Christ, they became soul winners. They went home and they brought their mom and dad to revival meetings at the church. And they were converted by the grace of God. Do you know what happened? Erwin Overholzer did something ex exceptional. My friend, he stepped out of the pastorate and he gave his life to reach boys and girls for Jesus Christ. And today, Child Evangelism Fellowship is the rest of the story with over 2,000 missionaries around the world just because one man did something exceptional. The same story could be told of Robert Rakes in Gloucester, England. Robert Rakes, 200 years ago, more than 200 years ago, he saw the boys and girls on the streets of Gloucester, and he felt he studied reading, writing, arithmetic, Monday through Friday. Whoever teaches them on the Lord's Day? And it was Robert Rakes who founded the first Sunday school movement. He did something exceptional. My friend, I tell you again, to impact our community and our world for Jesus Christ, we need dedication that is exceptional. Amen. Amen. Uh, not only what she did was exceptional, but what she did, my friend, was most extravagant. I say that this morning because we've already mentioned that what this lady had, uh, why it was probably the most precious thing that she possessed. The Bible does remind us here in the complaint of those disciples, that what she had was worth 300 pennyworth. Now, if it took 200 pennyworth to feed 5,000 people, what would 300 pennyworth not do? 300 pence, my friend, was equal to a year's wages. Think of that for a moment. In your own mind, you picture your own income for one year. And think of what this lady did, wrapped up 
in that alabaster jar was the income of a whole year. And yet in one act of devotion, my friend, she was prepared to pour it all on the Savior's head. Is that not extravagant? You know, extravagance does not become the life of our Savior. He was never extravagant. Foxes had holes and the birds of the air of the nest, but he had nowhere to lay his head. He borrowed a boat from which he preached. My friend, he slept at the rear of the ship. He, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And yet I say to you that here is a woman, my friend, who gave out of love for Christ. Listen, what she gave was not calculated. Logic calculates 300 pence, too much. Love, my friend, does never calculate. Love just gives and gives and gives. Listen, it was not only precious because it was costly. This was probably a family heirloom. It was the sort of thing that was handed down from grandma to daughter and from daughter to grandchild. It was kept in the family. My friend, this woman was prepared to break the line and that which was both costly and precious, she gave it all to Jesus Christ. What about our love for Christ? Uh, let me just say this, that what she did for Jesus on that day, my friend, was not only exceptional and extravagant. May I just remind you, it was exclusive. It, it doesn't tell us that when she burst in that she anointed the head of Simon the leper and Jesus. It doesn't tell us, my friend, that she did it for her brother Lazarus, not even for the disciples. And least of all, did she keep any for herself? Listen, could I put it this way? That what she gave that day was all for Jesus and only for Jesus. My friend, I do feel in our lives at times that we get so cluttered up with things that call for our demand that sometimes our Savior is pushed to the side. I know your pastor preached quite recently on Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I tell you this, my friend, that when Jesus Christ is our goal, when he is the object of our love and worship, just like Mary, exclusively to him, then I tell you that where we work and with whom we keep company will all be regulated by our love for Christ. Uh, can I say this? Someone has said that your life is like money. You can only spend it once. Think of that for a moment. I know I can only spend my money once. I wish many times I had this life to live over again and give it all again to Jesus. But my friend, you'll only live this life once. What this lady had, my friend, she could only give it once. And thank God she gave it all. What she did that day was exceptional. What she did that day was extravagant. What she did that day was exclusively for Jesus. My friend, what she did that day was expressive of how she felt. I say this to you, my friend. You read this portion of Scripture, and you will find that she never uttered a word. Isn't that amazing? 
we do feel at times to worship, we've got to speak, we've got to be heard. My friend, here is a woman who out of a silent act of worship and a heart that overflowed with love for Christ, she just spilled not only the jar, but with that jar, all of her love for the Savior. We sang it this morning, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Now listen to what it says. For thee, all the pleasures of life I desire. What did she do? She did something exceptional, something extravagant. She did something exclusive. My friend, what she did was so expressive. Do, do you know something else? Let me just stop to ask this question. Not only notice what she did, notice when she did it. As a matter of fact, if you go to the beginning of that chapter, it almost gives you the date on the calendar. It says, after two days was the feast of the Passover. Listen, everybody had got the lamb on their mind. They were going to the temple. Do you know something? Mary didn't have the lamb in the temple on her mind. She had the Lord in her home on her mind. And read on. It says this word, after the two days was the feast of the Passover and the leavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. They weren't even thinking of the lamb. My friend, the world had murder on its mind. And you know something? These gleams of glory seem to shine all the more for me, for Mary's love for Christ, simply for this reason. When the world Hated him most. That's when Mary loved him most. That's when Mary loved him most. My friends, sometimes as I look upon our secular world, our materialistic world, and see what we call today their addiction. Addiction to materialism. Addiction to drugs. Addiction to those things. Don't you think that we as Christians could take that same addiction and give it to Jesus Christ when the world hated him most? That's when Mary loved him. Listen, not only had the enemies murder on their mind, but you read here that the disciples murmured. Not, not, listen, they didn't have murdered. They weren't going to kill Christ. But they murmured. And they said, could not this have been sold for 300 pence? Do you know why? My friend, they were working from up here. They were calculating with the head, 300 pence. Their love for Christ, my friend, was cold, dominated by logic. Mary's love for Christ, my friend, was overwhelming right from her heart. Do you know something? They murmured against her, but really their murmuring was against Christ. Do you know what they were saying? He's not worth it. That's what he... It could have been sold for 300 pence. Listen, don't waste it on Jesus. I remember when we stepped out to serve the Lord, going 3,000 miles up the Amazon River, people said to us, you're going to waste your life on the back end of nowhere. My friend, I'll tell you this. Whatever you do for Jesus, remember this, it's never wasted. It may be waste as the world calculates, but what you do for Jesus, it's never wasted. Our, our brother sang it so beautifully this morning. The longer we serve him, the sweeter he grew. Uh, something else about that time. Not only had the world murdered on its mind and the disciples murmuring, 
but Judas, malice. You read verse 10, just immediately after this act, it was then that Judas decided to betray the Lord. My friend, let me just stop this morning. And while our hearts are full for love for Christ, drawn out because of the story, perhaps I'm speaking to someone, and God knows your heart, that just like Judas, my friend, you've stepped out of line. You've turned your back on, your, on the Savior. You've betrayed His holy name. And just while those who love the Savior gather here to worship Him and give to Him and express their love for Him, God knows that your heart is cold and you're far away from Him this morning. That was exactly how it was with Judas. And where Mary was giving, do you know what he was doing? He was selling. Mary was giving all that she had to Jesus. And Judas sold him for the price of a crippled sleeve. You can't have it more contrasting than that. What did she do? When did she do? Let me rush on to ask this question. Think a word that she do. It tells us here that he was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Let me just say these things very briefly this morning because we could take a long time on it. Do you know what the word Bethany means? The word Bethel means the house of God. Beth, house, El, Elohim. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Bethphage, the house of figs. Bethany, the house of the poor. That's what it means. And some of you have been to Israel and you will know that Bethany is just over the other side of the hill of the Mount of Olives. It was, my friend, as this portion of Scripture suggests, the house of the poor, in that those who not, were not welcome in Jerusalem, such as Simon the leper, those who were the outcasts of society, those, my friend, who were not welcome in the temple, they went to the house of the poor, Bethany. Isn't it just like our Lord that when He came to Jerusalem, He always went to the house of the poor? It is just like Him. My friend, I do feel that as Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in that town, perhaps to minister to the people in that town, it was Jesus Christ who came to the neediest place. And out of the neediest place, my friend, that's where Mary loved. The neediest place. Not only that, but think of this. It says it was in the house of Simon the leper. Who was this Simon the leper? The Bible doesn't tell us an awful lot about him other than to say what his name was, Simon and Either he had leprosy or he had been cleansed from leprosy. And I do believe the latter. Else Jesus and disciples would not have sat at the table with him. Some commentators believe that he was one of those who at Bethshan, you remember the story of the ten lepers? The ten lepers who had been healed, but only one returned to give him thanks. And commentators said, that was Simon. And so here was Jesus in the neediest, poorest of all places, sitting at the table, flanked on one side by Simon, the leper. And on the other side, Lazarus. You know something I love to sit at the Lord's table. But what a table this must have been. Jesus sitting at the table, one side, one side is Simon, the other side is Lazarus. Listen, Simon has been cleansed from leprosy. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Mary looked at them both and said, Jesus is worth it. 
He's come to the poorest place. He's worth it. I'll pour him out all that I have. Don't you see that where it happened had a burning on it? The house of the poor, the house of Simon, the company of Lazarus. Let me go lastly to this last question. Not only what did you do, not only when did you do it, not only where did you do it, but the obvious question is, why did you do it? Did you ever stop to think, why did you do it? My friend, our blessed Lord, he so unfolded this event of extravagant giving that he said these words, she has done it to anoint my body for the burial. Incidentally, you remember that after Jesus died, according to John chapter 20, John chapter 19, it tells us, rather in John chapter 19 of this, that after Jesus died, they took his body to the tomb. But ere they put it in the tomb, certain women went there with spices. And they anointed his body after he died. Here's a woman who was prepared to do it before he died. I say this, and perhaps this is not in the text, but my friend, listen, don't wait till you're dead to give to Jesus. Do it when you can. Don't wait for another day. Here is a woman who wasn't waiting till after Calvary. She did it before Calvary. And why did she do it? Well, first of all, I think that she did it out of an appreciation of his worth. She realized. My friend, could it be that she could see more than these disciples who said it was waste, but she said he's worth it? Could it be, my friend, that behind that that face, she could see that this was more than a man. This was a God-man. This is the one who as a man put his head down at the side of the ship, and yet as God stood up and spoke to the waves. This is the one who stood at the tomb, and as a man he wept, and yet as God he spoke out. And death itself obeyed his voice. She saw, she had an appreciation of his work. My friend, may I just remind you this morning that we serve the Lord Christ. We were singing about it this morning, how, what a mighty God we serve. She had an appreciation of his worth. Not only an appreciation of his worth, but what she did, my friend, she did it out of adoration and worship. She just loved Jesus. That's it. You know something? You can't put words on love. You can't calculate. The depth of love. Excuse me, referring to Brazil as I often do in my messages. But during the course of this week, I was to speak, we didn't have time to do this, on the man of God as a pattern to others. And one of the things I wanted to say is this, and it has a burning here this morning. My life has been shaped not always by great preaching, but more often by great preachers their lives. They impacted me. And I thank God for the opportunity during these 30 years to work with a group of people, my friend, who have been selfless in their giving, sacrificial in their lives, sold out to the cause of Christ. And you know something? Their sacrifice and their love for Jesus impacted my life. Do you know why? Because what Mary did in Bethany, they were doing it all over again. Doing it again. Let me finish by saying this. 
Why did she do it? Because of an appreciation of his work. Because of adoration of her worship. My friend, she did it in anticipation of the work that she would, he would do. She was anticipating. Had Jesus not spoken of Calvary? Did he not say that he would go to Jerusalem and there be crucified and rise the third day? Listen, disciples didn't believe it. But she believed it. My friend, anticipating that work, she took that alabaster box and she broke it irreversibly. She poured it exclusively on the head of Jesus Christ. And she did it because she knew upon him was the shadow of the cross. And do you know something? That nard, that strong nard, I do believe that on the following day, or rather that night when they left, and went over the hill of Mount of Olives, down by Bethphage, down Palm Sunday Walk and into Jerusalem, in the upper room where they broke bread, listen to it, the fragrance of the nard was still there with them. And when they took him from there and they went to Gethsemane's garden, and disciples could not accompany him. My friend, he fell on his face and he cried to God from heaven. Great drops of blood came down from him in agony. Yet the fragrance of the nard was there. And when they took him to the house of Caiaphas, and my friend, angry soldiers slapped his face and they blasphemed against him. The world stood against him. But the fragrance of the nard was there. Went to Pilate's judgment hall, they took him, and although they, they stripped away his clothing, and he bent his back, and he gave it to those who smote him, and his face to those who plucked off the hair. They crowned him with thorns. They spat upon his face. Listen, disciples had forsaken him. But the fragrance of the nard was there. When they took him to Calvary's cross, hark, I hear the dull blow. Of the hammer swung low, they're nailing my Lord to the tree. They lift him up between two thorns, between two thieves. And my friend, there he hangs. I'll tell you this, that on those hours of the cross, the fragrance, the fragrance of the spikenard was with Jesus. You know something? I feel the fragrance of that spikenard is with us this morning. What Mary did in Bethany touches us today. Can I just say this as I close? What she did is not just a story to be told again and again, but it's a principle of love, of sacrifice, of extravagant giving that's got to be repeated and perpetuated in our love for Christ. Let us all pray. Our blessed God and eternal Father, we stand before thee this morning, conscious, our Lord, of our own unworthiness. But Lord, how we thank thee for him before whom angels bow this morning, the one around whom 10,000 times 10,000 gather to sing, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb. And Father, you're worthy of our love and of our lives. Help us, Lord, to hold nothing back from thee. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's sing. Word from the Lord. We're going to sing.